The concept of retirement in this country is broken. We work ourselves to death and we miss out on so many of life's precious experiences. And as a certified financial planner and CPA here in Nashville, Tennessee, I'm committed to helping free others from this antiquated mindset using my three bucket approach to managing money and to find creative ways to live now and retire while you work. Join me as we change the way we think about money and time. And which one of these is the true currency? All right. Welcome, everybody. Um, we're excited for today. We're doing our second part um, from our last last month. We did a nutrition webinar with Michelle Norris of SweatNet. We had such a great um, such great feedback. A lot of questions that we decided to have today as an encore presentation. So I've got. Uh, my good friends and partners, Tim and Chris on here today. And we have fielded questions um, over the last month from each of our clients at each of our respective practices. And we have those to address with Michelle today. Plus there's gonna be a Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen. So you can submit questions while we're, um, during the presentation, we'll do our best to answer those and try to get it all done the next you know, 40 to 40 minutes to an hour. And I'm sure there'll be around three. Um, so with that being said, um, Chris, Tim, you have anything you want to add to that? And then we'll get Michelle going. Sure. I'd like to say uh, thank you very much to, to everyone for your time, Michelle, especially as well. Uh, Tim and David, obviously, as great colleagues and, and friends and partners, it's, it's fantastic. Well, what I'd like to say is, you know, for you as clients, for you who are on the uh, webinar today, we understand that we first get together via planning and wealth management and retirement or some other means. But what we understand quickly is that simply a way to support living a better life. So when we're looking at how to help you with that, you have given us phenomenal feedback to provide services like this as a way to actually enhance your existence and how you are here. So the living it is very, very important. And that's what we bring Michelle in for as well. And I know Tim and Dave are, are very strongly committed to doing that as well. So to all of us, it's our gift to you and, and keep coming the feedback because this is what generates what we're doing today. So without further ado, um, Tim, is there anything you'd like to say, my friend? No, well, let's get to, last time I think there were 20 questions in queue, in queue when we <laughs> signed off, so I think the smart thing to do is to get Michelle going and uh, share all this valuable information, so thank you guys for setting this up, Michelle, for being here, and take it away, Michelle. They can see us anytime and listen to us anytime, so. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris and Tim and David. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity to come back and answer some of your questions. Before we get started, I really wanted to talk about a hot topic in nutrition um, that people are really starting to figure out right now. Doctors alike are really starting to understand the role of our gut health in, in the health of so many other things that are going on in our body. And so what we're really figuring out is that things like allergies and arthritis, autoimmune diseases, that's a huge one. There's like 210 different autoimmune diseases with all linked back to the same thing, which I'll tell you in a second, mood disorders, autism, ADD, ADHD, dementia, Alzheimer's, OCD, depression, so many of these disorders and issues that people are having that are prevalent in our country are actually linked back to, and I would ask you if you were all in a room together, what you think it might be, um, but it's actually your gut health. And so the gut plays this crucial role in the function of the rest of our body processes. And so if we can have a healthy gut, we can heal so many of these things that we've been dealing with, things like arthritis that seem to make no sense or have no connection to the gut whatsoever, or allergies or even mood disorders, the gut brain access, that's kind of a, a buzzword in the medical and nutrition world these days. We won't go so much into the deep science, but I want you guys to think about your own gut health. Do you experience gas or bloating or GI pain or issues going to the bathroom? I know that's a little bit personal, but just think about yourself and think about when you eat a meal, how do you feel afterwards? We need to become really in tune with our body. And a lot of times the way that we're feeling can actually be linked back to certain foods or types of meals that we're consuming. So there's about five different ways that we can really wreak havoc on our gut. And I want to run through those with you really quick before we jump into questions, just because it is so important. 
So the first one is a junk diet. So consuming foods that have little nutrient density really promotes the growth of wrong bacteria in our gut. And when we have the overgrowth of this wrong bacteria in our gut, we can lead to a damaged ecosystem or little holes in our small intestine. This is known as a leaky gut. So then you have partially digested food leaking out into the rest of your body. And that is recognized once it gets into the bloodstream as a foreign object in your body or a foreign substance. And so the body starts attacking itself. So this is known as an autoimmune disease, auto meaning self. So your body starts attacking itself. And so if we can close up those little holes in your small intestine, then we don't have partially digested food leaking out into the bloodstream and we don't have the body attacking itself. So medication overuse is another one that we see really commonly when, with leaky gut or GI issues. So that's like, um, if you did a lot of antibiotics, a lot of rounds of antibiotics in your life at any point. So even if you're a 50 year old right now and you had a ton of ear infections as a kid and you were constantly on a round of antibiotics, you could have damaged your gut at a really young age and it's never been able to recover. So think about that. Um, infections and gut imbalances, things like SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. This is just where the bad bacteria overgrows and we have to do things to balance out the good bacteria. There's supplements that you can take and we can get into this deeper if you guys want later. Uh, toxin overload. So this can be either mercury or the, the, top, the top two are mercury and mold. So if you have mold in your house or in your office or in a space where you spend a good bit of time, mycotoxin illness is something you might want to look into that can really affect the way that our brain and our gut are able to function. Um, lastly, inadequate digestive, not second to last, inadequate digestive enzymes. So stress or anti uh, anti acid blocking medication. So PPIs, these are not meant to be taken long-term. And I work with many people that have been on their PPI for 10 years and we got to work to get, get them off. There are tons of side effects and studies that are show they're linked to cancer, just long-term they're really damaging to the body. And so if we can heal the gut, we won't need that PPI anymore. And therefore it's not causing the damage, but we need a good healthy digestive enzyme. If we're struggling with our gut health, there are great supplements out there that I can recommend on an individual basis. If you guys uh, want to email me or contact me later. And lastly, chronic stress can play a huge role in negatively impacting the function of our gut. So think about that, that saying a gut feeling. Sometimes you have a gut feeling, but that's because you have, that's, that's real. You have a ton, you have more neurotransmitters actually in your gut than you have in your brain. And so when you have that feeling of that, yeah, those are those neurotransmitters telling you uh, what to think or what to feel, or maybe a decision to make go with that gut feeling. But if we have chronic stress, we're going to damage the ability for the gut to function properly and for those neurotransmitters to function the way that they are supposed to. So we need to stimulate our parasympathetic nervous system. Think about para, think about a parachute brings you down. We constantly live in this sympathetic nervous system state, which is go, 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 fight or flight. And how many of us actually take time and sit quietly with our thoughts or journal or meditate or do a yoga class or pull up a stretching video on YouTube? Not enough of us not enough enough. This is something we need to be able to work into our schedule on a daily basis so that we get that parasympathetic nervous system stimulated so that our gut can have time to rest and relax. I know it seems a little woo, but it's true. So if you guys have any more questions on your gut, please put them in the, in the chat and we can keep going with this topic. But if not, we'll get to some of those other questions. Hey, Michelle, I have a follow-up to that. How about, how important is sleep to gut health? Uh, incredibly important. Yeah, sleep and, and specifically the hours actually between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. So if you're somebody who goes to bed at 2 a.m. and sleeps till noon and think you're doing great because you're getting your, your 10 hours, you're missing that recovery period. So if you can try and get to bed at, by 10 p.m. and make sure you're asleep for those critical four hours of recovery, that's huge. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. So David, would you, anybody like to start with questions? I know we've, we've got quite a few. If so, I can start with one. What is your opinion on intermittent fasting? Is it okay to do long-term or only for short periods of time? What a great question. Intermittent fasting is fantastic. We could do a whole presentation on this. There's actually three different types of fasting. When we think about intermittent fasting, there's time-restricted feeding, which is probably the most common one. This is where we eat for eight hours. We eat all our calories in an eight hour window and then we fast for 16 hours. So in a 24 hour period, we're doing a 16 hour fast and getting all of our nutrients within an eight hour period. That can be whatever eight hour period you want. You could start eating at noon and finish eating at 8 p.m. 
and then you fast from 8 p.m. till noon the next day. That's a pretty common one. Some people do 11 to 7. Some people do early in the morning, like 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. They say that's really beneficial because you're not working on digestion when you sleep. So your body can really get into a nice deep sleep, but you know, then you're trading off. Maybe you have a family and you're not eating dinner at the dinner table with your family. And, and what's the better benefit? I would say having dinner with your family, probably that's a pretty, pretty important time, especially if you have kids, you're trying to nurture. So maybe that's not the, the time frame for you. Um, but, but when you fast, when you take a break from eating, what you're allowing your body to do is two things. The first is when it's really great for weight loss because you're teaching your body how to tap into your fat stores. We all have a little bit of body fat, some more than others. And when we're constantly giving our body, say five meals a day with two snacks or three snacks, we're constantly using what we're eating as fuel. And a lot of times in our society, it's very carb heavy. So we're constantly burning carbs or sugar glucose for energy. And we're not really training our body to use fat as energy, but your body loves to use fat as energy, but it has to be trained to do so. And so when you go these 16 hours without eating, you're going to burn and use everything that you ate. So you had dinner at 7 PM and you don't eat again until 12 the next day you've burned through that dinner. And now your body needs energy from somewhere else. So it'll force it to tap into your fat stores and burn your own fat as energy. So if you're on a weight loss journey, this is really beneficial. It also helps build mitochondria. Mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, produces ATP. And so when we have more mitochondria, we can produce more energy. So that's another benefit of fasting. But the second most important thing about fasting is that when we take a break from eating for a long period of time, our body doesn't have to work to digest food. And so when we don't have to send energy, energy towards our digestive tract, we have what's called cellular autophagy that starts to occur. That's basically spring cleaning of your cells. So you have this extra energy. Think about it like a scan of your body. Your body starts looking for things that don't look quite right. So they're looking for misshaped cells. Think about something like cancer. It starts with one misshaped cell that divides and divides and divides, multiplies, and then you have a mass. And so if you can catch that misshapen cell before it starts to divide, then you've basically saved your body of cancer. And that's why fasting they show has really paired with a chemotherapy treatment or the ketogenic diet can do amazing things for your cancer treatment, but also can be used as a tool to prevent cancer. So cellular autophagy and promotes fat burning within the body are two of the main functions of fasting. So there's, I said, there was three types of fasting. The other two are, if that intermittent fasting doesn't seem like it's going to be great for you, there's, um, basically a 24 hour fast that you can do once a week. So it's a dinner to dinner fast. So maybe Saturday night, you have a big meal and then you don't eat again until Sunday night dinner. So you take 24 hours to give your body time off from eating. It's less used for weight loss since you're only doing it once a week. You're not really getting that consistent tapping into your fat stores, but it will allow for that cellular autophagy, that spring cleaning of the cells. So it's really great for that. And then there's a third one called um, a fasting mimicking diet. So this is where three to five days, sometimes longer, you'll eat a very um, reduced caloric intake. So maybe you're normally eating 2000 calories a day for three to five days, you'll have between five and 800 calories. And so because we're eating when we're eating less, we're allowing the body to tap into those fat stores. And we're also getting some of that cellular autophagy. So three different types of fasting. I would say try them. Um, talk to your doctor maybe before. I'm not a doctor. I got to put that out there. I'm not providing any medical advice, just passing along knowledge I've seen and read about and heard and experienced myself that has shown to be incredibly beneficial for health. Michelle, is any one of those more healthy than the other or easier on the body or better for weight loss or? I would say the time-restricted feeding is better for weight loss. Um, that's the, you know, eat everything in eight hour window and then fast for the 16 hours. If you're on a weight loss journey, that's the one that I would pick. But as far as health, they're all incredibly beneficial for your health. Okay. Mm -hmm. Allowing the body to spring clean. I like that. That's right. Yeah. Cool. Um, do nutrition needs change as people age? There's another question we have for you. Yes. Yes, they absolutely do. That's a great question, especially for postmenopausal women. Um, I don't know how many postmenopausal women we have on the call, but typically after we go through menopause, we need way more healthy fats than we previously did, and we need less calories overall. So for men, as you age, the same thing applies. We need less carbohydrates, 
more healthy fats, still moderate amounts of protein, but fewer carbs. Okay. So more fats, less carbs, pretty much as we age across the board, postmenopausal women, they have a unique scenario where um, they typically need to lower their calories. Unfortunately, our metabolism starts to decline as we get older. If you can keep up with your strength training, that's a great way to maintain and hang on to your metabolism. I know one of the other questions that we were prepped with was, um, what is a weight loss program you would avoid? And I would say, uh, outside of if you're going to do the fasting mimicking diet for a short period of time, if you go on a really low calorie diet, I'm, I'm gonna, giving you guys a two for one here with this answer. Um, so a lot of postmenopausal women will do this because they get to a certain age, they go through menopause, and then the, the weight starts to come on because they have some hormonal changes that occur. Um, they're eating the same amount of calories as they were before. So they decide to go on a diet and they start eating 800 or a thousand calories a day. They go on this major caloric restriction. And what happens is that you actually lower your metabolism even more. So when we get into those upper years, we want to make sure that we're eating enough calories so that we're not negatively impacting our metabolism. But we also have to recognize we are getting a little bit, bit older and our metabolism is slowing just a tad, but not to the extremes where some of these uh, caloric restriction diets are taking us. Does that, I think, does that make sense? Absolutely. Michelle, I had cool. a question that came in here. Um, he said, I've been taking medication for 20 years for GERD. I think, I think you call mm -hmm. that GERD. Um, okay. I have tried to go off the drug and can go three days before the symptoms come back. And I'm currently on pantoprazole. Pantoprazole. Mm -hmm. What's a good alternative? You got to heal your gut. Um, so that's one of those really harsh PPIs that we have to figure out what's causing the issues in the gut and the stomach that that's creating that acid reflux. So the first place that I would start would be a food sensitivity test. Everly well has one you can do at your house. If you're anywhere near Charlotte, North Carolina, I can do it on you. I'll come prick your finger and send it away for you with the biotech test. Um, but basically it tests your blood uh, up against anywhere from hundred to 200 different foods and looks for inflammation foods that cause inflammation in the body. And so then we have to remove those foods that are causing havoc in the gut. And then we have to add in some prebiotics some probiotics, some other amazing supplements and give the gut a break from those foods that are causing that inflammation so that we can heal the gut so that we don't have a need for those medications. It's a long process, maybe two ish months, but in the grand scheme of things, it's absolutely worth it. Uh, I would consider working with someone that's a functional medicine, nutrition coach or wellness coach. I I'm happy to walk you through or at least get you started on that process. Uh, but that's where I would start. Thank you. Mm -hmm. well, these, these questions will probably be all over the map, but some will come back. It, uh, and we had a client ask a question about salt. The latest research seems to show that salt consumption does not directly affect blood pressure. Is this true or have you seen this? That is true. That's absolutely true. So what happens with salt is that if you're consuming a standard American diet and eating a ton of processed foods, they do pack them full of sodium. And so when we're over consuming, really, really, really overdoing it, that's where we can see some of the negative side effects of salt. Um, but for the most part, what you're going to see is just water retention. Uh, salt is necessary. So if you're someone that's eating a pretty clean diet and you're eating the majority of real whole foods, you're cooking at home, salt your food. I salt the heck out of my food. Um, salt is actually an electrolyte. So sodium, magnesium, potassium, and calcium are the four main electrolytes that we need. And if we don't get enough salt, that's way dangerous because then it leads to hyponatremia. We have an imbalance in the cell where basically we flood our cells with too much water. We don't have enough salt. A lot of times marathon runners, this will happen to them. Um, where they overconsume water, they don't, they, they're sweating out all their salt, all their, and so their electrolyte balance within the body is really off and they actually become very delirious. They lose their ability to speak. They're really dizzy. Maybe they pass out. Extreme fatigue is associated with hyponatremia. So salt is actually critical for our health. Michelle, on that same topic, like there's something called real salt, sea salt, and Malden sea salts. I was, sea salt flakes I was recently introduced to as purportedly a better source of salt than others. Is there truly such a thing as a better salt versus, versus non? Um, I, yes, I would say that there is like the pink Himalayan salt, Himalayan salt is better than think about, um, buying the cardboard canister of iodine salt that looks kind of like sugar. Um, I would yeah. go with the pink stuff over that there's black salt. I mean, there's all kinds of salts out there now, um, in the grand scheme of things, it's okay. Um, 
All right, guys. Okay. All right. Then another question here. Um, what do you suggest for a premenopausal woman um, with hypothyroidism who cannot lose weight? That's, we got to talk. <laughs> call, call me. Um, I would say that we got to fix your thyroid. And typically the first step of fixing your thyroid is actually removing gluten. That's um, one of the major contributors to a thyroid issue. Uh, looking at the diet, it's really hard to say without having like a two day food log. If I were working with you, I'd say, write down everything that you eat for two days. I would love to look at your labs and see exactly what you've got going on with your thyroid. But yeah, the first place I start, I know that's a really blanket, um, statement, but it's really difficult to make a accurate suggestion without knowing a little bit more. There's so much individual, um, recommend individualized recommendations that go into something like that. So Start with taking gluten out and call me if you want to talk. So I have one that says, how do I find the right calories for your age slash body type? Can you recommend a resource? Ooh, that's a great question. Yes. Um, I would go on the precision nutrition website and find someone that is certified in precision nutrition near you. They can help you with that, calculating your macros. Um, from a general perspective, I would say the majority of people need about 45% of their calories from healthy fats, 25% from carbohydrates, or, or excuse me, 25% from protein and 30% from carbohydrates. So I'll say that again, 45% from fat, 25% from protein and 30% from carbohydrates. As far as calorie needs go, go on the precision nutrition website. They can help you. Typically they do a calculation. If you were my client, that's I would take your weight, your current weight and multiply it by a number, depending on your goals and your activity level. And that gives us a general calorie number. And then we tweak it from there based on how you, how you pro progress with whatever your goals are. Another way to do it is to find someone in your area that will do a metabolism test. So they, the gold standard to figuring out what your actual metabolism is or your basal metabolic rate is um, it's through this thing. You breathe into it for about 10 minutes and it measures your oxygen exchange and it'll figure out if you were to sit right where you are for 24 hours, how many calories your body burns just at rest. And then you'll add a few calories depending on how much activity you do throughout the day. And that's a really accurate way to figure out your caloric needs. That's called basal metabolic testing. What else we got? I was muted. Um, I think you're muted. <laughs> I'm a Zoom rookie. Um, this seems to be an, an, an issue at my house. I don't know if it's an issue at anybody else's house, but there's a question in here about um, night eating or mindless snacking mm -hmm. or I've found my wife would kill me if I tell, her, tell anybody this, but I'm going to, um, she, I'll find her actually in the pantry and our pantry door actually, actually automatically closes. So I'll come out of the, the bedroom after brushing my teeth or whatever, and the pantry door will be closed and she'll be in it kind of searching <laughs> around for stuff. So it's a, it's a big deal at our house. So that, that'd be a good one to attack. Yeah, sure. So there's a couple ways that you can address this. A lot of people who do the intermittent fasting uh, really succeed. Um, they, they get into it because they have that late night snacking. And so if they put a time cap on what, what time they can finish eating, that helps eliminate some of that late night snacking. Like I can't have any calories after 8 p.m. That's, that's it. And so putting those bumpers up and saying just that's it, tough stuff, just and your body kind of gets used to that and the cravings will go away after time. So that's one way to do it. Another way is to have healthy snacks out there. Um, anything that's high in fat, that's going to help get you through the night and keep your blood sugar stable through the night. If you're someone that falls asleep and then wakes up a few hours later, a lot of times that's back, that's related back to your blood sugar. Your blood sugar is bottoming, bottoming out. So you had a meal that was higher in carbs and you didn't have enough healthy fat or protein. So if you can have a dinner that's higher in fat, so that would be something like any kind of red meat, grass-fed red meat or fish, plus any kind of healthy oil. So avocado oil, coconut oil, cook all your food in that stuff. Um, and then nuts are great. Another source of healthy fat. If you throw some avocado on a salad, again, another source of healthy fat that one will keep you full longer. So you won't have that urge to late night snack, but also will keep you asleep throughout the night. So healthier fats at dinner and, um, and then making sure you get adequate protein and 
Um, yeah, if you want to try that intermittent fasting where you just put a hard stop on it, that's the best way to do it. Right. Cool. Um, all right, Michelle, I had a question. So what is the optimum type uh, or time for sleep um, suggestions, especially for those in the service industry? We have a lot of clients who are musicians and in the service industry. So what would you suggest? It's so hard. I know, right? It's so hard. I mean, that 10 to 2 window is the, is the window when we recover the best. And so if we can really get, I know in the service industry, that's nearly impossible to get to bed by 10. Um, the goal is eight hours, of course, even more is better. Um, and if we can get that 10 to two, but if that's not possible, just as early as possible, uh, making sure you have a good, maybe supplement at night with, um, magnesium bisglycinate, which is a way to help improve the quality of your sleep. So that when you do get to sleep, you're really maximizing what you're getting out of it. There's a great one by Thorne. I take it personally. Um, I, I take it everywhere with me. I'm down here on a work trip right now. I've got it with me. I don't go anywhere without it. It's, it's incredible. So to help with the quality of your sleep and get the most out of it, that's what I would recommend for you. I have one other question related to fasting time restricted and we were kind of there. Is there mm -hmm. a, a, is there allowable drink food that we need to, or is, I mean, all the other rules kind of apply or is there stuff mm -hmm. that, or is it just a free for all for eight hours? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some people try and get away with that. Um, it's still a clean eating deal. So you want to eat whole real foods as much as possible. That's for nutrient density for your body processes, for your gut health. Uh, people have seen results as far as fat loss, eating whatever they want in that eight hours. And if your only goal is fat loss, you can try it. That's not what I would ever promote to anyone because there's so many other things that come with the foods that we choose. And so if you want to have a functioning brain, a functioning gut and live a disease-free life, then try, I mean, we, with our food choices that we have the ability, you know, we have the ability to control our destiny in so many more ways than we ever thought possible. We thought that our genes were kind of written for us. Our destiny was predetermined, whatever cards we were dealt, that's what was going to present later in life. But what we're really figuring out is that our food choices matter. And so we can prevent those genes. Maybe we have the breast cancer gene. Maybe we have the gene for high cholesterol or high blood pressure, but if we eat, in a way that supports our health, those genes will be turned off for our entire life. They'll never get turned on. It's like a light switch. You can have, and you control whether or not that light switch gets turned on. And so I would say eating a whole foods diet, you know, I, I do a lot of paleo recipes. I'm not strict paleo by any means, but if you Google paleo recipe, you'll get a whole foods based recipe nine times out of 10. And so I tell people use that in your search. When you go and look for a meal, just throw the word paleo in there. It'll ensure it's a whole food based recipe. Perfect. Mm -hmm. said, uh, something I have from a, a client that said, uh, what is the truth about keto bods? It's one cup at 9 p.m. burns fat while you sleep. I mean, there's a lot of going on with keto and these things to help mm -hmm. you get into ketosis, right? Mm -hmm. But this is probably just a question to, to understand. Is this true? Is it a myth? Is there something you can eat at nighttime to help burn fat? Sure. Yeah. Did you say keto bomb, Chris? It's keto. It's keto bods. K e t o b o d z. So I don't. I'm not particularly okay. sure what it is. But. Yeah, I'm less familiar with that product, so I'll have to look it up and get back to that person if they want to send me an email. I can give them a review on that. It's probably something really high in fat, or maybe it's an exogenous ketone supplement. Um, both of which can help your body get into ketosis for sure, as long as you're really, really, really restricting your carbohydrates. Um, you can use that to help get your body into ketosis, which essentially is converting your body from using carbohydrates as their primary fuel source to fats as your primary fuel source. So the ketogenic diet is incredibly powerful. Uh, I would say if you're doing it in a healthy way, rock on, go for it. If you're somebody that's eating just cheese and pepperoni and pork rinds and calling yourself keto, you might see results as far as weight loss, but you're wrecking your inside. So we got to make sure that we're doing it in a healthy way, still getting the fiber from vegetables without throwing ourselves out of ketosis. Um, it's not a high protein diet. You really do have to watch your protein intake. Only about 20% of your calories should be coming from protein. If you're doing a ketogenic diet, 70% from fat and the rest from carbohydrates, which is not a lot. Typically it's less than 50 grams a day, sometimes as low as 25, depending on your calorie needs. Awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I had a question. Um, 
just a very general question. And I know it's different for everybody based on their age and situation, but my guess is there's some overlap for everybody. The best nutritional supplements. Oh yeah. That's top three or four that like almost everybody should take. I would say for supplements, um, if we had to paint with a broad brush, I would say vitamin D is one that everybody typically needs. Um, before you start taking anything, go to your doctor and get your levels checked of all this stuff. And then because if you're, if you have adequate levels of vitamin D, you should, certainly shouldn't supplement, um, unless you're sick or something like that, then you can use it to help fight off whatever it is you've got going on, but otherwise you no need to take it every day. Um, so vitamin D is, is a pretty common one that we see people low in and are deficient in and need to supplement with fish oils. Another one, we eat so many omega sixes. These are inflammatory uh, oils and fats that are found in a lot of our processed foods. And uh, unfortunately the processed oils are very high in omega sixes and we need to balance them out with omega threes. If we have a really um, big difference between the amount of omega-3s that we're consuming versus omega-6s. It's an inflammatory storm in our body. And so we need to make sure that we have an even ratio or even a little bit more omega-3s than we have omega-6s. Those omega-6s are the inflammatory oils. So things like in your processed foods, you'll notice in the ingredient list, soybean oil, canola oil, corn oil, peanut oil, sunflower, safflower oil. So if we can work to minimize those and then get some more omega-3s, they're in fish, chia seeds, flax seeds, uh, or a fish oil supplement. So that's another supplement that I would recommend. Make sure again, that you talk to your doctor. Uh, and I love that magnesium bisglycinate to help people sleep and recover at night. It calms your nervous system. It just gets the most out of your sleep for you. Uh, I would certainly recommend those three, I believe. What was, what was the last one? Magnesium? Called ma magnesium bisglycinate. Thorn makes an amazing powder. You mix it with water before you go to bed, like 30 to 60 minutes before you go to bed. And again, it helps calm your nervous system and gives you an amazing quality of sleep so that you wake up feeling rested. It's not a sleep aid. It's not melatonin. Uh, magnesium is one of those electrolytes that we need. Uh, our food, unfortunately, is less dense in magnesium these days because of the soil that it's grown in. I won't go into the nitty gritty of that, but we're not getting as much magnesium from our food these days as we used to get. So supplementing with it is a great idea. Would you say, so that was three, would you say if there was a fourth one, would it be a probiotic? No. Okay. Not everybody needs a probiotic. And if you overdo it on the probiotic, that can lead to fatigue and brain fog, which is funny because that's typically what you experience if you have leaky gut and need a probiotic. But if you're taking a probiotic and don't need it, you can experience those same symptoms. Uh, we have a client question which says, early type 2 diabetes, best way to lose weight to lower A1C? Probably, I guess my question is, is it actually best way to do that or is it diet? Um, nutrition, hundred percent nutrition, diabetes, type two diabetes is completely reversible. I've seen it, done it. It's uh, not personally, but worked with many people to help reverse their type two diabetes early is better. So the earlier you catch it, that's incredible. You just got to make some changes and make them fast. So the carbs have to come down. So anything like bread or pasta, white or wheat, doesn't matter. The processed foods, anything that converts to sugar in your body. So any kind of baked good cracker cookies, chips, it's all gotta be very, very minimal. We need more healthy fats. I would look up some of those keto recipes that that's an incredible uh, nutrition plan for someone that is experiencing or on, maybe either borderline with their A1C or actually been given the type two diabetes diagnosis. Look into that ketogenic diet. That can be an incredible resource for you and, and use it to help reverse that. Under hundred grams of carbs a day is, is pretty typical. So start paying attention to that. You can use MyFitnessPal or Carb Manager or the Lose It app to help manage those carbs and keep them low. We've got a bunch more. Don't everybody be totally quiet. Yeah. Here. Keep, we, we keep them coming. Okay, so I've got a client said, if you regularly do strenuous exercise like CrossFit and consume calories accordingly, but then... An injury prevents you from exercising at the same level for a period of time. Do you recommend reducing or adjusting calories or continuing at the same level to assist recovery? Great question. Uh, you definitely have to lower your calories a bit because you're not expending nearly as much. CrossFit is pretty intense. Um, 
certainly need still need calories to recover, but not nearly what demand would be if you were working out, say five days a week, going to a CrossFit class or something like that. Yeah. Reduce those calories. Same, keep your macros about the same. If you are someone who tracks your macros, just dial your calories back. Michelle, and I have another, that, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, whoever that is, if you are struggling with an injury, you need some anti-inflammatories So from, from your food. So I would say a fish oil would be a really good recommendation for you. And then I would look up anti-inflammatory foods. Ginger, turmeric, curcumin are all great to try and get into your diet or take in supplement form to help with your recovery. Sorry, Tim, go ahead. No, that was perfect. That was actually another one of the questions on that, that you just knocked out. So that's perfect. Oh, good. Okay. One more on the fasting. And um, when you're fasting, um, are you allowed to drink? I mean, are there non-caloric drinks allowed like water, coffee, tea, any of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. Uh, any hot tea or black unsweet tea, water's fine. If you want to put something in your water, like a noon tablet, so you're getting those extra electrolytes, there's another one called um, Element that's like a salt packet. You, If you could want to drink black coffee, if you are doing the ketogenic diet, there's an argument for bulletproof coffee in the morning. So that's coconut oil or Kerrygold grass-fed butter in your coffee or MCT oil. I had great success with that, putting that in my coffee and then just not eating anything that is about 200 calories. So uh, you are breaking that fast a bit, but it's helping your body with ketosis. So it's a little bit of a trade-off there. Um, but so I guess that really depends on what you're doing with while you're fasting. Um, but yeah, those are, those are pretty much the only things that you can have. And then somebody to kind of follow up with that, ask the question, what do you think the idea of drinking a little Gatorade every day to get electrolytes? I mean, it'd be like a Gatorade or a Pedialyte. Is there, is there any reason to do so? Uh, no, I would get your electrolytes from another cleaner source. So Gatorade, whether you're buying the zero sugar kind that's full of sucralose and dye. So we really want to stay away from anything that has any food coloring in it. Um, and then sucralose is that artificial sweetener. It's a neurotoxin and toxic, toxic to our gut. And Pedialyte has way more sugar in it than people feel there. People realize it. I know it's made for our kids. My brother used to drink a gallon or a huge, I don't know, liter of it at tennis practice every day. Um, but if you really look at the sugar content and sugar actually dehydrates us. So it's, it's like counteracting against itself. So I would look at, again, those noon tablets or um, it's called LMNT. It's a packet, it's like a salt stick with other, it has magnesium and calcium and, and sodium in it. And you just dump it into your water. So you're getting the electrolytes that you would want from the Gatorade without the dye or the big sugar. Had a question about apple cider vinegar. Um, should you take it every day? And if so, what are the benefits, the pros, the cons? And is that kind of a no-brainer to implement? Sure, you can. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome to shoot it. You know, do a little shot glass full. Um, it helps with promote the healthy bacteria in your gut. That's that's what it's used for essentially. So. If you have any kind of uh, history with ulcers, I would not recommend trying that. Um, but otherwise, if you want to give it a shot, just take a shot maybe every other day to start. And if we want to work up to every day, that's fine. Uh, yeah, but it'll help promote the, the growth of the good bacteria in your gut. Kombucha is a less painful way to promote the growth of healthy bacteria in your gut. If you're a kombucha drinker, you can either make your own you just got to get a SCOBY from somebody. That's the bacteria, literally a, a, like a circle of bacteria that you need to start it. Or you can just go to your local, they have a at grocery store now. GT's is the brand I recommend. They don't have any added sugar. Uh, there's some kombucha companies out there getting a little crazy with the added sugar. So just watch the sugar uh, amount or the amount of sugar in the kombucha. But yeah, good probiotics in kombucha. Great. Sure. Somebody actually asked as well, are, and this, you may know the answer very quickly, are non-caloric drinks allowable while fasting, water, coffee, and other? Yeah. Yeah, those are fine. Non-caloric drinks are fine. Again, I would just look out for sometimes if there's a drink that says zero calories, but it's still sweet, um, mm -hmm. I would say seven times out of 10, it's sweetened with an artificial sweetener, something like sucralose or aspartame. 
And those are things too, artificial sweeteners that we want to avoid. We want to avoid all of them. Uh, stevia and monk fruit sweetener are not technically an artificial sweetener. So we want to make sure that whatever we're drinking at zero calories, if it is sweet, it's sweetened with that versus sucralose or aspartame. There's one question that is collagen, question mark. <laughs> yes, collagen is great. Uh, Vital Proteins is an amazing brand of collagen. It's in the blue tub. You can buy it on Amazon or at your local health food store. It doesn't taste like anything. You can mix it in your coffee, mix it with water. It's really great for your hair, for your nails. Um, just uh, It's something that I recommend to all my postmenopausal women clients. Not that you men can't take it. David, I know you take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, question about, so when eating uh, vegetables, obviously fresh is best. Um, mm -hmm. canned, canned or frozen, are they both okay? Assuming there's nothing added, like canned green beans versus, you know, out of a bag in the you know, frozen section? Uh, as far as health and nutrient density, it would go fresh, frozen, canned. So when you can go with frozen or fresh, if you have to go with canned, that's okay, but just try and keep it to a minimum. Okay. And that's because mm -hmm. are, are there preservatives in the canned? Um, it's, it's typically the lining of the can, like what's in the actual can itself that gets leached into the vegetables. Okay. Would that be the case where a glass, I mean, instead of canned, it'd be glassed if they're placed in glass versus the can, is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. Cool. Michelle, one quick one um, that I got through my phone. Uh, what's a good fish oil supplement brand? Oh, that was, I think, one of our questions that we had um, from somebody that came in before we started this. So thank you. Um, good supplement brands, period. So there's three that are, that are like top, top tier that I always recommend. Thorn is amazing. And you can buy all of their products without a provider or any kind of special login. That's T-H-O-R-N-E, Thorn. Everything's third-party batch tested, which means it gets sent to a third-party lab. They test it, make sure, yes, this is 250 milligrams of EPA and 250 milligrams of DHA. That's what the two components of fish oil. So they just check to make sure it is what it says it is. And it also contains the amount uh, per capsule that it says that it claims that it does. And so Thorn, uh, Metagenics is another one. You have to have a provider to provide you with a login with that one. So if you have a functional medicine practice or an integrative medicine practice near you, they probably use Metagenics and can help you with that. And then the third one, which I believe everyone can access is Pure Encapsulations. And there, again, all of these are third-party batch tested, super clean, cream of the crop. So a fish oil, I recommend. There's a Super Omega from Thorn that I recommend to most of my nutrition clients. Cool. Mm-hmm. So you'd mentioned this somewhat, but somebody asked, do you recommend paleo diet or simply inspiring to eat more paleo? And if so, why paleo? I wouldn't say that I recommend a strict paleo diet. I would just say I really enjoy certain aspects of paleo and I have seen it work over and over again. So paleo really promotes a whole foods-based diet. So eating things that don't have an ingredient list, what's in an apple, apple, what's in chicken, chicken, what's in grass-fed beef hopefully just grass-fed beef. Um, it's mostly meat, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and eggs. And that's where the bulk of our calories should come from. Uh, more people struggle with grains than they realize. So in the paleo diet, you're not eating any grains. So no rice or quinoa. I'm not saying those things are bad, but for someone who's struggling with their gut health, and that's a lot of times what people come to me uh, for to help heal their gut, we got to pull the grains out anyway. So that word paleo when looking up recipes is really beneficial. They also don't do any dairy on the paleo diet. And me personally, I don't do dairy. Um, I just know that it causes acne, it causes joint pain, it causes some brain fog and um, keratosis polaris, which is a skin condition. Um, and so that's an easy word for me to type in when I am trying to find a healthy recipe, paleo. Um, but no, not necessarily a diet that I recommend to everyone like to be strict paleo. No. I think another question that came in, there's quite a few still, which is great, but the uh, question is, thoughts like on sugar alcohol, like what is used in a lot of protein bars instead of added sugar, is there any benefit mm -hmm. or is it just as unhealthy as sugar? Not as unhealthy as sugar. 
Um, but I would say just beware of how you feel after you eat it. Some people, it really disrupts their gut and they have a lot of gas or bloating afterwards. Some people can tolerate it just fine. I would say on an individual basis, see how you feel after you eat a protein bar or something sweetened with that sugar alcohol and then make that decision for you. Oh, when you mentioned um, grass-fed beef that you hope it's just grass-fed beef in the <laughs> ingredients, and that kind of uh, spiked my thought on chicken. When you buy chicken mm -hmm. in the store, sometimes mm -hmm. it contains rib meat. Is this mm -hmm. okay? Yes, um, rib meat's fine, but you don't want to have anything else in there. So when you look at the ingredients, when you buy chicken, it should just be chicken. If it has a little bit of rib meat, that's fine, but it shouldn't have any extra preservatives or any words that you don't know or can't pronounce in the ingredients. It should just be chicken. When you're buying chicken, um, I would really, really try and stick to the organic free range chicken. Those are the words you want to look for on your chicken when possible. And then when you're buying your grass fed beef or when you're buying beef, I would look for the words grass fed, 100% grass fed. We maybe touched on this before. Um, but a lot of times they'll use the word grass finish to try and trick you. And if you're not really paying attention, you might buy that and think you got the grass fed kind. What happens with the grass finish is the cows are fed an unnatural diet of soy and corn their whole life. They get them really fat. And then two days before they slaughter them, they send them out to the pasture. They let them eat grass and then they kill them and they make that meat and call it grass finished and try it and sell it as a healthier version of meat when really for 99.9% .9 of their life, they were actually fed soy and corn. So we want 100% grass-fed beef, and then we want organic free-range chicken and wild-caught fish. Awesome. I'm gonna uh, try to combine a couple of questions here about a few different supplements. Somebody asked, uh, their physician recommended both CoQ10 and turmeric mm -hmm. daily. Mm -hmm. And then another question was, do you recommend CLA um, conjugated linoleic acid for fat loss. So it's just combining those two. Um, I would say on the first one, the CoQ10 and the turmeric, absolutely every day. It's a natural anti-inflammatory. You can take it in, uh, the CoQ10, you can take in supplement form. If you want to get the turmeric from turmeric powder, just try and cook with it, or you can take it in supplement form. Um, CLA, I would say that's an individual case by case basis, but I have recommended it in the past. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, when somebody diagnosed with uh, recently with kidney disease, what can I do with my diet to improve and maintain my kidney health? That may apply to a lot of people. Yeah, this is all about managing inflammation. So we really need to be on an anti-inflammatory diet. We need to be, you know, really reducing the things that turn into sugar in our body. And we really need to be cognizant of those processed oils that are causing the inflammation storm. So again, that's soybean oil, canola oil, sunflower, safflower oil, peanut oil, corn oil, vegetable oil, all those got to go. And we need to be very strict about it. Um, and then the sugar. So anything that has sugar, added sugar in it, or again, the white wheat, bread, crackers, pasta, chips, cookies, baked goods. It's all got to come out. Those are all inflammatory and that's what we really have to focus on. So I would look up the anti-inflammatory diet and uh, happy to help with that. Um, but I would start there. Thank you. Another one is mm -hmm. skim milk. How much to drink and best times to drink it or is skim milk best? I guess is a better question. Never. No one needs skim milk. Please stop drinking skim milk. Um, it's not even really milk by the time it's called skim milk. I would say, uh, especially for us women, dairy, especially milk causes um, a spike in our insulin. So that's the fat storage hormone. So it spikes our sugar, the pancreas releases insulin and insulin is what pulls the sugar out of the blood and tells the body to store it as fat. So milk specifically is one that really creates this um, insulin spike in women or a blood sugar spike causing the insulin spike. So for women, I would really recommend giving it up completely. Dairy is also really inflammatory for most of us. About 70% of the, the population really can't tolerate dairy, period. Uh, if you take it out for like six weeks and then add it back in, that's a one way to know whether or not you can tolerate it or not. See how you feel during those six weeks. You might have things dissipate that you never knew were linked back to dairy. Allergies, asthma, keratosis, polaris, acne, migraines, a lot of times are linked back to dairy. So pull that milk out and see how you feel. And there's some other really great nut milk alternatives. M-A-L-K milk is a really, really clean brand of nut milk. They make 
coconut milk, almond milk, cashew milk, oat milk, all very clean. The ingredients are typically just what it's called, oat milk. So it'd be oats. And then I think it has some salt in it too, which we determined is not bad. What about cheese and yogurt? Do those follow along kind of in the same vein? They do. I would say they're less inflammatory than something like a milk, especially skim milk. Um, I would say everyone should do a no dairy experiment. Just pull it out for six weeks and see if you have anything that maybe was bothering you just go away. Um, and it may be you feel the exact same without it, but just give your body a break and see. If you're going to do cheese, I would say stick to the harder cheeses. Don't buy the craft singles. The reason they're called craft singles is because they're not even 50% cheese. So they can't call them cheese slices. They have to call them singles. They're less than 50% cheese, you guys. That's disgusting. Stop eating those. Um, and then as far as yogurt goes, I would buy the Greek yogurt with no sugar added. Some of those light and fit ones, they have tons of sugar dumped in to make them taste better. The Oikos triple zero, that's a decent one that's sweetened with stevia and they have all different flavors. But then again, if you want to avoid the dairy, the so delicious coconut yogurt that's unsweetened is a really great option. Michelle, can you mention the downside of a magnesium in a pill? versus powder on your digestion, on your mm -hmm. digestive system. So people are aware of the possible side effects. Sure. Yeah. It's just less easily digestible than that powder. And I don't know that they make a magnesium bisglycinate in a pill. Maybe they do. And if you want to send it to me, I'd be happy to look at it. Um, it's just more readily available, available when we mix it with water, it goes right into the bloodstream a little bit quicker than a pill. Um, and sometimes people who take it in pill form, uh, it becomes a laxative for them. And so they try and take it before bed and then they have to run to the bathroom. So the one that I recommend does not have that effect. Perfect. The question, um, can you comment on nutrition supplements and brain health, any recent research on dementia and Alzheimer's? Yes, there's a ton. Um, so for this person, I would say look up the Bredesen protocol. Uh, Dr. Dale Bredesen, he's the one leading the charge when it comes to looking at nutrition, supplements, brain training in the prevention and um, improvement of Alzheimer's and dementia. He's putting his patients on a strict ketogenic diet. He's got a whole supplement protocol, which are things that are basically geared towards reducing inflammation in the brain, some of which we've talked about, CoQ10, fish oil, turmeric. Uh, there's a whole supplement protocol and then they're doing brain training or promoting exercise with friends, kind of like, um, goes hand in hand or like, if you don't want to do the brain training or, or someone who's so cognitively, um, declined that they can't do the computer games, or maybe they're 85, like my grandpa couldn't figure out how to play a computer game. Um, so just exercise with friends was actually the supplemental protocol, but it's really, really, really fascinating on what they're figuring out with nutrition supplements and that brain training and how they're seeing Alzheimer's and dementia being reversed, but also prevented. So you can now get tested. You can have your genes tested and see if you are someone that is likely to develop that Alzheimer's or dementia later in life. And then that, if you are that person, I would say be on it, get on a high fat diet ASAP. So really it's all about reducing the inflammation in the brain. And they do that through the ketogenic diet and supplementation. Another is uh, what are your thoughts on an ECG supplement, green tea extract? Have you heard green tea rids the body of free radicals and also increases metabolism? Um, ECGs can, uh, what is it? equal up to four cups of green tea uh, and also i've also seen the same personally from a chamomile are these are these good teas and extracts to have on a daily basis yeah green tea and chamomile are great drink your chamomile at night it'll help with your quality of sleep but they're both antioxidants so that's what that um, helps reduce the risk of cancer free radical cells that's essentially what it's doing it's looking for those free radical cells in your body and taking care of them be before they wreak havoc so certainly don't uh, overload it with the honey or some kind of sweetener then you're you're adding in the inflammation while trying to reduce inflammation. Um, but yeah, plain chamomile or green tea, it's great. How about ECG as a supplement versus in tea? Is it? I'm better? less familiar with that. So send okay. me the supplement and I'll give you a recommendation, whoever that is. Perfect. All right. Got a couple minutes left. It looks like a couple more questions. I think we're doing great on time. Okay. Um, 
Someone asked for baking, what is a good oil? And I think what you said in the past, I want to test my own retention of this, was it avocado oil and coconut mm -hmm. oil and yes. olive oil sometimes, but not if you're cooking on the stove as much? So olive oil is really good at room temperature. When you heat it, um, it, the, it starts to denature and it loses its nutrient density. So when we're cooking or baking, we want to stick to avocado oil, coconut oil, or ghee or grass-fed butter. So when I make my paleo chocolate chip cookies that I do, I do a double batch every week because I eat two every night religiously. Uh, I do a combo of ghee and avocado oil or melted coconut oil. So pretty much like when I do paleo brownies, I'll do coconut oil, it's melted down, buy it at solid at room temperature, not the liquid kind, you want solid at room temperature um, and stick with those. And then if you're doing like a salad dressing or just want to dip your food in something, olive oil is what you need. Got it. Okay. Um, and for anybody trying to follow a regular recipe that typically calls for a vegetable oil, just use a one for one substitute with avocado oil. That's a really easy way to do it. It's it, they, like, it's one for one, super simple. It doesn't change the taste at all. Somebody said, will you share your recipe for the paleo chocolate chip cookies? <laughs> I will. Absolutely. Or price. No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Michelle's yeah. paleo cookies. Michelle's you know, brownies. There's a whole new business now. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> I love that. Another question that comes from something I've seen recently on a TED talk, which is from a leading dietitian, apparently, who is doing research on this, who found that, and it's very disappointing because it seems like, you know, everybody's looking for a magic diet that fits them. And I think what they're saying is we're looking for America to find a diet that works for us, right? And what mm -hmm. they're finding on the research is it's, and you mentioned this last time, which was, which was great because it leads right into it. It's about glucose spikes and wearing a freestyle Libra for 30 days to figure out what causes glucose spikes, because you may be able to eat ice cream mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. David may not be able to. Mm -hmm. Glucose yeah. spikes may you may be caused from rice, but you don't know mm -hmm. that until you've tested it. So they're finding that mm -hmm. the perfect diet for each individual is individual. Is that true? <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, okay. it's really right. true. Um, so Chris, you and I might have a lollipop and we have the same lollipop. So this is even deeper than certain foods cause insulin or glucose yeah. spikes in different people. So Chris, you and I, we have a lollipop and for whatever reason you were genetically blessed and I was not maybe, um, the amount of insulin that you have to produce to pull that lollipop sugar out of your blood is call it one unit. So you only have to release one unit, whatever that unit is of right. insulin to pull the sugar out of your blood. So you're only getting one unit of that signal that says, Hey, pull the sugar out of the blood stored as fat for whatever reason, because of my gut health or my DNA or my past history, my body say has to produce five units of insulin to pull the same amount of sugar out of my blood. So my body's getting five times the signal to store whatever it was that I just ate as fat. And so we have to figure out, and you can get your insulin checked. You get it checked fasting and you can kind of see where you are. If, if you have an elevated insulin, but a good A1C, that's kind of the very first step that your nutrition needs to get in check, or you're going to head down this road towards type two diabetes. So I would ask your provider, check my insulin, check my A1C, um, and, and see where you are. That way it's a good wake up call. If you are trending up with that insulin that you need to really start watching your carbohydrates. Well, I mean, really appreciate it. I think we're running out towards the end of our time here. There's, of course, we can ask a thousand more questions, which I think the last people, question everybody wants to ask is, what's the most, I mean, alcohol consumption during the pandemic. <laughs> I think last time Tim came up with a great question, and I think it was, was it tequila and sake mm -hmm. were the healthiest options for alcoholic beverages? Is that still true? That's still true. Um, unfortunately, for anybody who drinks anything else, that is still true. I would say think about alcohol like a continuum. I think I talked about this last time that the least worst, I can't say the best alcohols because then I feel like I'm promoting the consumption of alcohol. The alcohol, the least worst are uh, tequila, mezcal, and sake. And then you get into your clear liquors, so gin or vodka, and then you get into your darker liquors, so whiskey, bourbon, red wine kind of falls in that category. And then we get into your white wine and lighter beers, and then we go into your fancy daiquiris and really sugary drinks, Jack and Coke, and then your heavy beers, your IPAs. Uh, sparkling seltzers, I forgot to mention that, that's kind of in there with the vodka and the gin, so not too terrible. Awesome. That's yeah. great. Right at an hour. Thank you so much, Michelle. We will uh, we'll be sending out a recorded uh, version of this webinar to um, all of our clients and everybody who was on here.
and I'm sure we'll be doing it again. Yeah, you can awesome. tell by the 50 questions that we had, how important this is to people and the resource that they need and that you're providing for them. So thank you. I know that if people want to engage individually, they can also reach out and set up a program mm -hmm. where, where they mm -hmm. can, can do that as yeah. well. So we can obviously provide the introduction to that as well. But the general questions kind of they're asking here, I think are wildly helpful to guide people in the right directions as well. So I, yeah. I really appreciate that. I know our team does as well. So, so thank you, Michelle. We're sorry if Absolutely. we didn't get your question. I'm still getting some by text, but we will uh, we'll get to you offline or, or save those for uh, the next one. So thanks for everybody for participating. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and please reach out to me if you have really specific questions. Like we said, nutrition is pretty individualized. And so Michelle at sweatnet.com, anytime, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. You'll find that my mother threw out all of her, all of her like white, um, you know, all the, all the things you said last time. What I do with all this? We went to her house and there she's out. So there's radical change that comes from this. Yeah. I just wanted to give you some, you know, some of the, some of the idea from it today, but it's her birthday. So she's going to eat carrot cake today. So happy birthday, mom. I just want to say that on this as well. So really happy stuff. birthday, mama. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Tim, Michelle, and, and, and uh, uh, David. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank Bye. you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening today to Retire While You Work. I'm David Adams and hope you'll continue to listen as we discuss creative ways to manage your time and money. And now some friendly disclaimers to make my compliance department at Raymond James happy. Here we go. Any opinions are those of myself, David Adams, and not necessarily those of Raymond James. Expressions of opinion are as of this date and are subject to change without notice. The information contained in these podcasts do not purport to be a complete description of the securities markets or developments referred to in this material. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but we do not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Every investor situation is unique, and you should consider your investment goals, risk tolerance, and time horizon before making any investment. Prior to making an investment decision, please consult with your financial advisor about your individual situation. Any hypothetical examples are for illustration purposes only. Actual investor results will vary. Raymond James does not provide legal or tax services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional. <sighs> there you go.